And welcome to a brand new episode of Cinemaholics. I am your usual co-host, Will Ashton. Uh, unfortunately, John is still on his honeymoon, so I am taking over for host. But quite thankfully, I have a very special guest to join me for this episode. He is a writer for The School, and he's also written for The Salute and RogerEbert.com. It is Michael Garnieri. Hey, Michael. Yes. Hello. Glad to be here. Very glad. Thrilled <laughs> to be here, really, uh, to, to talk about a few things yes. today. Thank you for inviting me on. Oh, well, thank you for the warm welcome. I'm very excited to have you on. Um, I've been a fan of yours, primarily on Facebook, I'll say. But uh, as you're writing in general, uh, I've just been uh, definitely admiring your stuff, and I'm glad to have you on the show. Well, thank you very much. It's it's uh, it's good to hear that uh, my time wasting away <laughs> on on a slowly collapsing social media platform from a decade ago is not totally been totally been a waste. So that's good to hear. <laughs> Oh, man. Um, so we're just going to start off with a uh, kind of just a general review of the new, and I hope I'm pronouncing this guy's name right, the new Balthazar Cormier film, uh, Beast, which stars Idris Elba and Shardo Copley. Uh, real quick, I was just curious to hear from you, Michael. Are you a Balthazar Cormier fan? I don't believe I've seen anything that he has directed. I'm looking at it now. Yeah, no, no, no. Contraband, didn't see that one. Didn't see Two Guns. Didn't see Everest. But back when Everest came out, I worked in um, uh, market research. And I remember we would show that trailer to people. And uh, every single person, no matter what demographic they belonged to or what their background was or whatever, they'd be like, I am not seeing that movie. And we'd be like, why? And they'd be like, because it is about people trying to climb Mount Everest and it looks too intense i'm not seeing that yeah i was gonna say i mean the funny thing about him is that he's not like a household name but he's not really been i guess he's like technically a journeyman director because Mm -hmm. he doesn't really have any particular stamp to his work he kind of just does different vehicles for different filmmakers but there is a general sense of competency to all of his films at least the ones i've seen uh you know it, it does seem like when you hire him to do something, he, he knows what tone to strive for and he'll produce something that's like at least no lower than like a C plus. Like I think yeah. he understands the assignment, but he never really has done anything that's like, Oh, that's a good or great film. It's just like, yeah, that was pretty good. And I'm not going to say that's leading into my thoughts, this film, but I will say like, that was my assessment with Everest. That was my assessment with two guns. Uh, I even kind of felt that about Contraband, even though that was a kind of disposable red box January type film. I remember walking out of that being like, hey, you know, considering how low my expectations were, that basically exceeded them. And that, I feel like that's generally how I feel about. Yeah, sorry. Go ahead. No, no. Is that that one's a Mark Wahlberg, right? <laughs> yeah. A, a Mark yeah, Wahlberg it was like a real, it looked a real like, programmer. I, yeah. I gotcha. I gotcha. Yeah. Right. Yeah, it was just it just looked like a super like dumpy movie that just came out like at the beginning of January. My expectations were rock bottom and I just remember walking out of it being like, yeah, you know, for what I expect this to be, I'm not going to say it's great. I don't even know if I'd recommend it to a friend, but it it exceeded my expectations and then some. So, I've generally kind of kept my eye on Baltazar's films 
enough to where like I can't say like hearing that he's involved gets me excited, but it will make me be like, okay, like maybe this mm-hmm. won't be a disaster. Like I haven't seen anything from him where I'm like, okay, this is not going to work at all. And I, I remember seeing the trailers or like the advertisements for Beast, and I was a little put off by like like the CGI didn't look great. I, I wasn't really sure how long they could strain the premise for. Uh, you know, man versus nature, man versus animal. It, it, it's something we've seen before, obviously, with much better films like Jaws. And earlier this summer, we saw Nope. And it was just like, OK, what's this movie going to bring to the table that would really justify itself? Also, it's coming out in August, which isn't quite the dumping month that January is. But it does it does have a reputation of having lesser films come out. So when For I had sure. heard that Baltazar Comer came was involved with this, I was like, OK maybe this might be something worthwhile at least or at least something that's not going to waste my time and it seemed like the reviews were at least supporting that to some extent but did you go into this with any expectations uh not really uh, this is i've been talking this summer about how like the august lineup has been so bleak they're just they're, they're just not releasing movies like just i'm not and I'm, I'm not even exaggerating like the statistically i think there was at one point they're like we're releasing 70% as movies, 70% as many movies to theaters as we were last year. So there's just, there's a, there's a real, uh, a dearth of movies, especially this late in the summer. And I was, uh, I, it had been a while since I'd gone to the theaters and I was like, I gotta see something. <sighs> Let me see what's playing. And I was like, and I saw Beast was playing and I was like, uh, all right, I'll check it out. Well, the, the final, the deciding factor for me was I saw it was 93 minutes long. And I was like, all right, you got me on this one, uh, which I think is the vibe, really. is like, you know, that kind of feeling of uh, not disposable because that makes it sound like it's like uh, garbage. But like, you know, like very just kind of ephemeral weekend type movie. I don't know if I want to go ahead and, and reveal my full uh, uh, opinion on it just yet. But I did not have super high expectations going into this thing. Yeah, I mean, I would be surprised if anyone really walked into this having super high expectations. But I do wonder if maybe the modest expectations kind of play into the movie's favor. I am wondering the same thing like you, like what's going on with this August in particular. I am very curious to know if like everyone just expected Bullet Train to do exceedingly well or if everyone kind of just front loaded what they had this summer and pushed like all their more promising stuff in May and June or maybe even uh, in July. But yeah, it does seem like this month has been very, very empty in a way that I, I wasn't really expecting going into the summer season. Not that, like we said, I expect August to be filled with like top tier films. I just, I am kind of surprised this, this season's August output has been such a, a dearth of just films in general, bad or good. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I will say as far as uh, a beast is concerned, I forgot to mention that also stars. Uh, let me see their names here. Um, Ayana Haley and Leah Savy Jeffries. Um, the real kind of bare bones plot synopsis of the film is that uh, a widow doctor is going back to Africa with his two daughters. Uh, they have sort of a strenuous relationship. Uh, it's it's not quite dysfunctional, but it, there's definitely a lot of tension at play there. He was getting out of their lives when the mother unfortunately passed away, and he's using this trip as a means to kind of uh, rekindle this fraught relationship. And as this is going on, they go on this uh, trip that obviously takes a uh, turn for the worse when a 
lion that has recently been uh, the subject of a, a pretty horrific killing of his family by poachers is going out on a lamb and just killing any human he sees, which unfortunately in this case uh, results in Idris Elba's character and his uh, daughters, along with his friend uh, played by Cheryl Copley kind of being caught in this uh, killer be killed scenario. And that's all you really need to know going into this because I mean, like we said, it, it is really like, it's almost like a B movie given an A movie budget. Uh, you know, you, you have, um, all the animals are recreated through CGI. Like no real mm-hmm. animals were harmed, thankfully, in the making of this film. Um, and I read, I think, somewhere that that was Idris Elba's choice that he didn't want any real lions or any real animals to be involved in the making of the film, which is quite noble. But uh, I am first just going to hear from you before I share my thoughts on the film. Uh, given your expectations or lack thereof, what did you think of the film, and would you recommend it to somebody? Uh, yeah, I would say that I do recommend it. Uh, this is a, this is a total B movie. I mean, that is, that is the word. I mean, that's the expression that I would think is, is is the most absolutely fitting for this is like this, if there were still double features, like there were in like the fifties and you could go to see some big, expensive, long movie that's supposed to be, you know, your a picture. And then afterwards, if you want to stick around for something that's not going to be shooting for the stars, but is going to have a certain amount of just like basic kind of entertainment, then beast is that kind of movie. It's a, it's a, it's a 93 minute, 93 minute movie where Idris Elba punches a lion, like, you know, classic. I mean, that's, that's what you need really, uh, in that kind of thing. And is this a, a masterpiece? No. Is this the height of, uh, uh, cinematic, uh, sophistication and aesthetic, uh, uh, thrills? No, not quite. But uh, it is exactly what uh, it promises you that it's going to be. You know, it's, it does exactly what it says it's going to do on the box. Essentially, when you open it up, it does that. It shows you it's intersolvable it punch in a lion. And, um, and, and I think that I would definitely recommend it. Not as, uh, hey, oh my God, you know what you have to see because it's so fucking good? Beast? Not that. But as a, hey, you want to go to the movies? You know what's out right now? Beast. That's not bad. So that's that's my that's my basic uh, uh, take on this one. Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, we've had some recent, I guess they can call them like creature features of this vein. Uh, I'm thinking of like Crawl and the Shadows or Shallows. I mean, um, yeah. where you know we just have basically an actor either on their own or nearly on their own, kind of going against an animal and just relying on both the filmmaker and the star's charisma to carry it off. And I'd say, at least for me, I don't think this one works quite as well as either The Shallows or Crawl, but it's not far behind it. And I think, like you said, it is mainly because there is a sort of unpretentiousness about it. Mm-hmm. It does kind of feel like if you... I guess the optimal experience with this for this film would be to see it like at a drive-in after like Nope or something like or Jaws. They bring it back in the theater or something like that because, like I said, it is kind of the B-tier type film. It's like it's a type of film you don't need to see, but if you're gonna be at the movies anyway and this is gonna play after something else, you're not gonna really feel like you're cheapened out or wasting your time. Exactly, it gets in and gets out pretty easily. The filmmakers, I think, know what they're doing here. There are a lot of long, even some beautiful, uh, long extended Steadicam takes here that i really appreciated i mean there there's always a threat with those type of takes now that there can be an airlessness to them or like they can be a little too precious uh to the point of kind of showing off and i think i admire that this film always verges into that but i think 
in this film's case, like I think it's always at the service of heightening the tension. Like yeah. the, the film is good about like keeping those long takes throughout the film in order to make you feel like at any given moment, like the lion could pounce yeah. and you're kind of have to keep kept on edge because like any given moment you're in danger, just like the characters. And I was kind of worried about like that, the uses of the long takes the beginning of the film, even though I was still getting into it, but I appreciate it as it went along. And I think that was something that I wasn't really expecting too, because it does give the movie a sense of craft that, you know, I guess a lesser, cheaper version of this film wouldn't be able to do and maybe lesser for it. But yeah, I certainly appreciate the the level of craft that went into this in a way that, like I said, it doesn't feel like very pretentious about it, but it feels like the filmmakers put some time and care into kind of making this the best version of itself that it could be. Right. Yeah. And, and with the long takes, and there are a lot of them in this, Film, that's a, a technique that I often find in movies. I can find that to be a little annoying uh, when a director is like, if it comes off as show-offy to me, if it comes off as as, be, as drawing attention to the direction, I don't like that when I think that the director is like, look how long I can hold this take for uh, without cutting. You know, I, could, I, I usually find that distracting if it's, if it's not done right. And uh, in this case... It's uh, effective, and I think what it ends up having the feel of is actually, weirdly enough, uh, it feels like a uh, like an amusement park attraction in a way. You sort of feel like you're at uh, like uh, Universal Studios or something, and it's like uh, one of those mm-hmm. rides where you know you, you get in the you get in the cart, and uh, there's going to be uh, it's like when the Jaws ride, when if anyone remembers that, I think they got rid of it, but mm-hmm. when the Jaws would pop out of the water and everything like that, it kind of has that feel to it. The whole movie does, and it, and it, it really kind of, I think it puts you um, there in the spot that the characters are in in a really uh, kind of unpretentious way. Uh, and it, it, it's not a movie that's um, trying to be really like grandiose in its themes. It's not trying to really say something about human nature, or animal nature, or something about Africa or something about family. Really, it's just telling a specific story about this one specific family dynamic with the dad and his two daughters and telling that within the context of this kind of thrill ride. And because of that, it's so refreshingly unpretentious. You know, I, I've, I, I found it to be. Yeah, I mean, like, the general message of the film, such as it is, just basically, like, there's nothing more ferocious than a father's love. And mm-hmm. it's just, like, it's the most, like, basic sort of thing. But like you said, you're not really going into this expecting, like, a deep political or family or social commentary. You're really just there for the spectacle of it. And I think in that respect, like you said, like, it's it's really able to be effective without being too showy about it. I didn't get kind of the same vibes I got from something like, uh, not to put this guy on the spot, but like, I feel like Sam Mendes of late has kind of done what you're talking about. Like, yeah, I like 1917 fine, but I felt like a movie like that, the extended long takes has kind of felt like they had that sort of airlessness at times yeah. where it, it did kind of feel like, okay, like it, it doesn't feel like as effective in a way that should be in the way like this movie is able to, where you, you kind of feel enamored or you're engaged with it more because of the long takes, because you're living in there a bit. And that film felt a little bit uh, showy and, and therefore not quite as successful. And, and that's not to say that beast is a better film or a worse film than 1917. It just, the first one that came to mind. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I don't really have a whole lot more to say about, 
about this film. Um, the only thing I was really going to ask you about was like, I've heard some people complain about how heavy handed the exposition is in certain key scenes in mm-hmm. this film. And it didn't really bother me as much, but I wanted to hear from you. Like, was that something that was distracting? Like, you know, it's, it, it serves a purpose, but it does kind of, you know, uh, take you out of the movie at some times as far as attention is concerned because they're trying to make the movie a little bit more emotionally affecting and i wanted to hear if that was a, a hindrance or a benefit for your viewing experience uh i didn't have a problem with it um i guess i can sort of see now that you mention it that there you know there were scenes where characters are kind of explaining things that people in the scene probably would already know and would not need to have said out loud but i think in this kind of film in a in a, in a film that's uh you know, that's this kind of fleet and, uh, uh, you know, compact, that's not that big of a problem. And, and for something that's not aiming for like a kind of naturalistic kind of, uh, quality to it. I didn't, I didn't have an issue as far as that went. Yeah. I think I generally would agree with that. It, it, it wasn't something that really bothered me, but I could also understand why some people would get annoyed when, you know, there, there, there's a literal life and death situation happening here. And the daughter is trying to bring up family tension. It's just like, is this really Mm -hmm. the most important thing to be discussing at this time? But, you know, at the same time, I I did kind of like the, in the opening scene, there was something sort of inelegant about the way that she brings it up. The, the main, eldest daughter in a way that that felt kind of naturalistic to me in a weird way like when they're having the dinner and she's kind of blurts it out like there's something that i feel like a lesser movie would have like made that seem more dramatic and i I felt like belthazar was able to kind of do it in a way it wasn't super organic but that felt more realistic under his direction than some of these other movies would allow it to be um but yeah i don't know i mean it, it doesn't really hurt or help the movie for me ultimately but I can see why some people complained about. The only other thing I will say about the film is I did admire that it did upend Batman v Superman for having the most extended nightmare scene I've seen in the <laughs> film in a long time, where Idris Elba has like three nightmares simultaneously, like a nightmare within a nightmare within a nightmare. Uh, I think it, it actually looks quite beautiful, but like the, the bizarreness of the scene did almost kind of take me out of it. I don't know if you felt the same way watching it. Uh, no, I, I do know what you mean, though. Uh, and, and with the kind of recurring dream uh, vision where it keeps going back to the, its setting up when his wife eventually does appear to him uh, in a dream. Well, it's, you know, spoiler alert or whatever, but uh, it, it sets it up in that way that's kind of um, a little heavy handed, but, you know, not, not that big of a deal. I kept expecting that um, uh, when the wife did appear, because we hadn't actually seen her. I kept expecting that she would be somebody mm-hmm. famous in the end and that she wasn't, which is fine. But I just was like, Oh, is that what, is this, is this a, uh, is this, is this a situation where like, so you're talking about somebody for the whole movie without seeing them. And then two thirds of the way through the movie, Matt Damon shows up for one scene and you're like, okay, mm-hmm. yeah, we get it, Matt. All right, here you go. Uh, it was not like that, but, but, but yeah, the, it, with the dream sequences, it, they, they were, uh, a bit heavy handed, but not a problem. I think. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, I mean, uh, unless you have any final thoughts uh, on the film, uh, we can move on to Beast, but I'll let you say your final piece on Beast at this time. Yeah, uh, just, you know, unpretentious. You you hit the nail on the head when you talked about, like, you know, there's really not much you can say about it. It's so kind of, uh, it's a pretty, you know, thin kind of movie, not in a bad way, but just that's, sometimes that's what you need. It's uh, sort of cinematic uh, potato chips, you know? It's just kind of like, just, just... Yeah. 
open up the bag, have some, and then you're done, throw it away. And, uh, and that is so, uh, refreshing, I think. And, and especially in the days when a lot of the stuff that is supposed to be entertaining these days are two and a half hour movies that are so bloated and nobody really seems to enjoy them that much, but everyone just feels mandatory. You got to get your stamp on your passport and see Jurassic Park Dominion or whatever, Final King, whatever the, fuck the latest one was called. And it's like, no one seems to be all that passionate about it, but everyone's got to see it. And, and this is, this is sort of the opposite where it's like, uh, you know, no one feels the need to see this because it's something, it's not based on anything. It's not uh, tied into any kind of larger uh, property or larger, idea or tapping into the zeitgeist but it's just like if you see it you'll probably enjoy it yeah i mean i think that's also something i find kind of refreshing about this film too is like you said it's very standalone it doesn't feel like it's setting up a franchise like a beast universe yeah. or something like yeah, that right. um <laughs> it, it just kind of serves its purpose gets in gets out and you know maybe in the 90s i would seem lesser but uh, nowadays when stuff like this is extremely uh rare yeah. uh, scale and budget like this one it, it it does feel very refreshing totally um one other thing i guess i forgot to mention is that like i uh i will say i guess the film's message as far as like man's relationship to nature can be i guess a little fuzzy just in terms of like i think ultimately the film is basically just like leave nature alone just don't don't mess with animals everything's fine kind of similar to what jordan peele was saying in nope to, uh, to some extent but uh yeah I, I do kind of feel like it having a movie called beast and having most of the movie be uh humans kind of hurting and putting animals in harm way might i don't know i guess it cut, does sort of undermine that message it kind of reminds me a bit of you ever see roar uh From like no the 80s. but i'd love it's to kind because of famous, it's uh, crazy yeah oh. right uh it's a fame it's a, a classic example of a film where i think mm -hmm. the story behind it is way more fascinating than the film itself but that is a, a very fascinating film when you watch it too in the sense that it has a very like pro animal like we need to love animals and respect nature, but like every single scene in that movie is fraught with tension, uh, undeliberately. So for most of it, just because you could tell that like animals really were hurting people during the making of that film. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, several casts and crew members were severely hurt or nearly killed in the making of that film. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I think this film doesn't suffer from those problems, but I couldn't help but think about roar weirdly when oh. I was watching this film, which uh, I don't know if that's a compliment or a, a detriment, but well, not I think something it's I was sign... expecting from this summer movie season. I will admit. Sure. sure. Well, I think it's just a sign also of how things have changed because, uh, w was it Jan de Bont who was the cinematographer on roar or some, it was somebody like that who'd go on to be famous, but like people were being scalped yeah, yeah, yeah. on roar. It mm -hmm. was just insane. It was like, and, and mm -hmm. I'm sure the animals were not having a good time either. Uh, and it's just like, no, this they weren't, just no. was not a situation that should have been happening. And then today we get a situation. You know, I've been talking about this with people where like, we are, I think, thankfully moving away from the idea of using most animals in movies. Um, you know, all the lions in this are CGI. Uh, you know, if you, if you have, uh, an animal in a movie, whether it's like, uh, I think of examples like you know just i mean anything anything that's a wild animal or even something like you know i always think about like the deer in um a most violent year where it's clearly cgi stuff like that oh yeah and yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. and it's like we're, we're moving away from having animals unless they're like cats appearing in film and having cgi replacements and everything like that and it's a little bit of a double-edged kind of sword because it is ethically better and so we should embrace that and we should accept that 
and everything. I do think often the film suffers a little bit, uh, but that's uh, has to take second place. That has to take a backseat to the to the ethics of it and not having animal cruelty. So, uh, and and I wondered if that was going to be an issue uh, in this, having known that it, you know it was all going to be CGI. If that was going to be, if it was going to be so fake. You know what I mean? And I think it, it works. Um, and I'm not yep. totally sure why it works so well, because in the trailers, I remember, I remember seeing them and thinking, Oh, it looks fake. And then in the movie, it, it just kind of, I don't know. It's effective. Maybe it's something to do with all the long takes kind of just putting you in that situation more, making you feel more like you're in that environment than otherwise. Perhaps that's something to do with it. Yeah. I mean, I think that that is actually probably the the large extent of it yeah because like you don't have the extended tension that comes with the long takes you know kind of earning those pounces and those things we're, we're getting more of just a direct action in the trailers and yeah i don't know i mean i i do think the the, the cg when the lines move and are kind of jumping around looks a little bit dodgier than when they're standing still or just kind of gradually walking mm-hmm. around in certain scenes so it, it might just be one of those weird scenarios where the marking indirectly highlighted the the weaker CG moments just because they're more action intensive and were more uh, uh, directly involving the actors, which might have been harder for the animators to to do. But yeah, I mean, I agree with you that even though we are generally at a point now with CG where unless it's something like uh, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes or something, we're not really getting authentically like realistic looking animation for animals 90% of the time in movies and shows, but I will say, I mean, obviously it's going to be better and more ethical to do that than putting an animal in harm's way or even potentially putting them in harm's way. So yeah, I mean, it's, it's not, it's definitely going to be something that has to be improved on with time, but obviously the more responsible and ethical thing to do. So I am glad that the movie opted to do that as opposed to uh, having real lions and wildlife in the film. So yeah, I mean, that's, uh, I guess that's our thoughts on beast. And we can move on to Bodies, 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 a very different type of film, but also yes. kind of similar, I guess, in that they're both 90 minutes. Yep. They both kind of get in and get out. Uh, very much uh, original concepts to as far as like not based on any intellectual properties or films or anything before that. And uh, this one is an A24 horror comedy from director Helena Rehain. I'm probably pronounce that wrong but i, I apologize uh it has a uh, pretty much all-star cast or up-and-coming cast uh amandela steinberg maria bakalova uh chase sue wonders rachel sonette uh lee pace mahala harold and pete davison along with uh another uh alt comedy star that i didn't realize uh until i saw the film would be a spoiler to say um, i didn't know if you knew going into this uh who would be at the end of the film because i thought he was actually going to be like one of the main characters sure um, sure so i was going to say initially who it was but until i saw the film and i realized they their uh presence of film basically amounts to no more than a minute uh, i'll keep that one a surprise because i guess some people that i talked to including our host uh, john negroni didn't actually know he was going to be in the film so oh, okay. uh, in any case uh this film uh would you do the honors of breaking down the plot or would you want me to do it? I could try. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So bodies, 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 right? So we okay. open with with uh, uh, a young couple. Uh, Sophie's Amanda Stenberg and the other is B, who's played by Maria Bakalova. 
and they're going to this uh, party. They're calling it a hurricane party at this mansion that's owned by the characters played by Pete Davidson. And they're throwing this party. There's going to be a hurricane, and a bunch of people are going to get together and uh, try and you know get through it. And it's uh, you know they're all young. They're all in their twenties, except one of them is uh, Pete Dave or, uh, uh, is uh, uh, Lee Pace, excuse me, who is the Lee Pace. much older yeah, yeah. boyfriend of uh, of uh, the uh, of another one of them. And uh, as they're mm-hmm. there, a lot of the tensions of their relationships that have already been established start coming up and then they decide to play uh, a game called bodies, 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 which is like a, uh, I don't know what you call it exactly. It's a little bit like, like a werewolf or mafia, like a game like that. Um, yeah. And yeah. It's like and then, yeah. werewolf mafia by way of clue, I guess would be the yeah. best way to describe yeah. it. Something like that. And eventually people start getting uh, found dead for real. And uh, the people, in the mansion have to figure out, you know, who's killing who and how they're going to get through it and how they're going to survive. And they can't leave because of the hurricane. And, uh, you know, so it's a little bit Agatha Christie. It's a little bit slasher movie. It's a little bit, uh, you know, social satire of, you know, those darn zoomers or whatever. Um, and yeah, it's written by, uh, or the story was written by, uh, uh, Kristen uh, Rupanian, who wrote fucking uh, Cat Person, the only famous short story of the yeah, 21st right, century. Yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, <laughs> there's a lot of like, yeah. you know, twists and turns and everything like that. It, as you said, it's like a 90 minute type thing. I, uh, full disclosure I saw this and uh, Beast on the same night. I did a double feature. I did the straight. This was my, this was the A picture. And um, without revealing too okay. much about where my opinion falls on this one uh i gotta say i think the b picture uh, outclassed it yeah i mean that's interesting because it does seem like review wise this is the one that kind of was getting more notice or more praise uh there were i guess more expectations at least with this one and it's understandably so because like you said it has a really solid premise like you said like agatha christie by way of like the beach house episode of girls which i think on paper (laughs) sounds fantastic like i think the idea yeah, I think that's a really fun idea, and I like this cast a lot, especially uh, Rachel Sinet, uh, who I don't know if you've seen Shiva Baby yet or not, but uh, that's such a great film and a great showcase for this upcoming star. And I was really excited to see her in this high-profile film. And uh, yeah, it just there's a lot of potential here, and I think it it doesn't uh, I guess not live up to that potential. Like it, it does have some really fun moments. It, it moves at a good clip. Uh, I, I think it, it has some fun ideas that, that really plays with, but I also find myself wondering what the better version of this movie was. Yeah. It's never, it's not really invested in the mystery no. of it. Like the mystery is kind of a, a secondhand afterthought and it's not really a horror movie either. It, it, it's kind of more of a thriller, if anything, I guess. And I, and I hate movies that like are people when they're like, oh, this isn't really a horror movie. It's a thriller. But this one doesn't really lean into the horror all that much. I mean, there's a couple of suspenseful moments, I guess, but it's more playing into like the, the heightened satire of, of, you know, like you said, like kind of playing, uh, poking fun at these zillennials or Gen Z uh, personalities. But I don't know. It, it's not really critiquing them per se or or if it is it's just kind of basically acknowledging that they're on their phones too much and they're annoying sometimes and that they they get too personal which 
you know, I mean, there are TikToks I feel that have more <laughs> scathing satire than, yep. than that. I mean, not that this movie needed to be an indictment of the generation below me, but I, I just felt like if you're really going to lean into something like this, you got to be a lot nastier or at least a lot more consistently funny than I found this movie to be. It just felt like yeah. it, it didn't really have the fangs that it wanted to have. Like it, it felt like there was obvi- there was a much like sharper, meaner movie that kept wanting to come out. And it stopped itself about like three steps of the way yep. from getting there. But that's just yep. my opinion. I want to hear a little bit no, more no, about no. what you think about the film. I agree totally. You're, you're dead on. And when you talk about it, that it doesn't have the fangs necessary, I mean, you're, you're a hundred percent correct. Uh, it is, uh, it's a really kind of toothless sort of satire and it's, it, it just lacks the sharpness that you want for this kind of movie. Because if, if you're one, if you want to make a satire, if you want to make something that is poking fun at a whole, uh, uh, you know, type of person at the whole you know categorization of people generation of people whatever you want to say a class of people because they're all they're all rich uh you gotta have something that's that's a lot sharper than this if you want to make a horror movie and and you want to make something that's got those kind of thrills you gotta make something that's a lot sharper than this and it just doesn't have it it feels a lot of the script feels like a first draft if a lot of the dialogue feel there's one scene that happens i guess maybe about halfway through or maybe a little bit later where all the characters are kind of, they're sort of yelling at each other and they're kind of revealing their, uh, you know, what it, whatever it is, the resentments that they've been harboring airing, with them the whole movie. Yeah. Yeah, airing grievances. Yeah, totally. Uh, and, yeah, yeah. But, but it feels so much like placeholder dialogue that's been put in there in the sense that, like, I, 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 I do a little writing myself. And sometimes when you write something, you write something and you're, you, you get a little frustrated with what you're trying to say. And you're like, I'll write the bad version of it. I'll write uh, you go. I'll write the I'll write the version that just like fills in the blanks, and then I'll go back to it later, and I'll punch it up and make it a better version of what it is. This feels like they didn't go back and punch it up. Uh, it feels really like a first draft stuff, like the the social satire of like, oh, you're triggering me right now. Oh, I have a podcast. It's all very just like very obvious and very like kind of just it just obvious and just just very superficial in that regard and uh the characters are superficial but this the satire needs to be sinking and deeper and it just it just isn't i do like uh i was very i did like hearing maria bakalova say podcast in her bulgarian accent though that was very very endearing uh but beyond that uh yeah no i i really think this this is it lacks there i've seen worse movies for sure this year but i think this just lacks um the venom that you need in a comedy and it lacks the atmosphere that you need in a horror or thriller movie. There's, there's one moment in this where, um, well, there were several moments in this really where I was watching it and I had the thought as I was watching it, I was like, Oh, that is kind of an inept, um, directing moment. And that's not a thought I have even in movies that I don't, that I straight up hate lots of times I'll see them and I don't, think of the direction in them as being inept so much as just being like misguided or just they have the wrong idea but there were moments in this where where for instance there's a scene where one character has a bruise under their eye and uh another character comments on it and starts talking about it and and i'm sitting there and i'm watching it and i'm going the person with the bruise is sitting like half in shadow you can barely tell that they got a bruise on their face at all get him out of the shadow, put him in, put him in some light. I mean, this seems like a basic kind of thing, but I'm, I'm serious. And like, if there's three moments like that, that you notice, that means that there are like 30 moments that are subconsciously 
affecting you. You know what I mean? And there's a, there's a part where somebody dies and I found it to be, maybe this is just, this is just on me, but there's a part where somebody dies and I found it to be so kind of confusingly shot and edited that I wasn't sure how they died exactly, which is not good at all. When you have a horror movie, you should know exactly if someone dies, you should be understanding what just happened. You know what I mean? And that doesn't happen here, which is a real shame because I feel like, you know, a 24, they, uh, uh, make a lot of these kind of like horror movies that are, you know, I'm not going to use the word, but you know, everybody knows the E word that ever, that they, that, that gets used to describe a lot of these things. Uh, and some okay. of them are, yeah. Mm. And some of them are better than others. And, and some of them are great and some of them are less than, and, uh, the thing that a lot of them have, even the ones that are not so good is a sense of like atmosphere. And I just feel like that's missing here. Atmosphere and style. Yeah, I mean, I guess you're a little bit harsher on the direction than I was the film, but I do agree in the sense that, I mean, I think the set, like, the, I can understand why they made this film during COVID, because it's one central location. Mm-hmm. It is a cool-looking house, and you can primarily rely on the chemistry or, you know, the, the eccentricity of the main cast. It, it makes sense, especially for a brand like A24 that knows how to market to an audience that's really going to eat this up. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I did find myself wondering, like, I, as much as I appreciate the natural lighting of the film and how much it, it relies, like you said, on characters being in the shadows and, and making some beautiful shots out of some, you know, heavily uh, darkened or shadowed uh, exteriors and, and interiors, um, I, I never really got a full idea of like what the house layout was like I, I found myself kind of surprised that like i was still kind of in the dark even when we weren't in the dark yet about like how big the house was or like what all the rooms were it didn't really seem like exposition or um uh exterior wise like we didn't really get like a full understanding like we we, we kind of only got like little bits and pieces beforehand to to pay off like how big this house was and like which central locations were going to be uh crucial to certain deaths and and all that and so uh i i did kind of find myself wanting more in that respect like i felt like there was room to really play with such a big canvas like this one it didn't seem like there was that much interest directorially to to really play that up but i am glad that you brought up a24 because I, i do find myself feeling this is their i guess i think 10th year as a brand now like i I think they just had their 10th anniversary Mm -hmm. only a day or so ago um and i i with the exception of everything everywhere all at once which i know is i guess a somewhat unpopular opinion but i did really like that film uh and and i can see why it became a huge hit for them but with the exception of that film, and I guess, you know, Marcella Shell, when she was on, was cute. I didn't love as much as John did, but I, I did really enjoy that film. But thinking especially of this film and then Men, which I don't know if you saw earlier this year, I, I find, like, both these films, uh, like, they, they have all the aesthetic earmarks of an A24 film, but it does kind of feel like an Emperor Has New Clothes situation where, like, it has all the hallmarks of what you want from an A24 film, but it also feels like they're almost like parodies of A24 films at the same time. Like, it doesn't seem like the company, broadly speaking, is being as adventurous or daring as they were even a couple years earlier. And that's not to say that they're making bad films right now. I just feel like with this one, it just seems like they're in this kind of mediocre phase, or at least having a somewhat mediocre summer, where they 
they produce films that like that definitely have potential like i said and you can see the better version of them kind of seeping out but there's just something ultimately kind of lacking about them it seems like they're not really taking as many risks it doesn't seem like they're uh, provocative as much as they were, or they're, or they're trying too hard even to be provocative in a way that, like, this one, like we said, it, there, there's so many avenues for this movie to do funny and daring and bold things. It just seems like it went with the more, I think you said, superficial version, which, you know, I'm not asking for this film to be like an in depth study of a whole generation. It's only 90 minutes long. Uh, but I, I do kind of want something a little bit piercing or something a little bit more resounding than what we ultimately got. It reminded me of the quote from Clueless, which is that I'm not over- overwhelmed. I'm not underwhelmed. I'm just sort of whelmed. Yeah. And I felt like that was my experience watching the film. I just was constantly just sort of whelmed. Sorry to interrupt the flow of the show, but hey, it's, it's John Negroni and I am editing uh, this episode now that I am back. Uh, I wasn't able to record with the guys, but anyway, I have to step in here for a quick correction because it's too important. These movies are too precious, of course, to the culture for uh, Will's incorrect comment just now to go uh, unabated. Usually we just, you know, bring stuff up on the next episode, but not this time. This this uh, deserves a, a quick interjection. So the quote that Will is talking about, or at least we think that he's talking about, is in regards to not Clueless, uh, but of course, uh, one of the most perfect movies of all time, 10 Things I Hate About You, the, uh, of course, classic 1999 film. Uh, the quote is, I know you can be overwhelmed and you can be underwhelmed, but can you ever just be whelmed? This is uttered, of course, by Chastity, played by Gabrielle Union. And then Bianca responds, I think you can in Europe. It's hilarious. Uh, one of the best parts of the movie, and, and uh, that's saying a lot considering um, how wonderful that movie is. No no hate against Clueless, but I uh, just had to set the record straight on that. And then now we can get back to the show. And I know, I, John, don't go away. The, their negative review of Bodies, Bodies, Bodies. We need you to come in and talk about how Bodies, Bodies, Bodies is actually kind of brilliant because of course it is um, but no we got we got to let them get their opinions of course I'll be back on the show next week to, to talk about uh, bodies 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 and how it's actually good but anyway uh, back to of course the show uh, yeah I mean I th- it sounds like I'm a little bit harsher on it than, than you are the movie that it sort of reminded me of uh, in a in a way that is not uh, super flattering to bodies 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 is uh, a film from a few years ago called Ingrid goes west I don't know if you've seen that one but it's, oh, yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah I, Plaza. Movie, yeah. I think that's I like, fantastic. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it's a great mm-hmm. movie. I, I really love that movie. And I think that is a, an example of a movie that felt very contemporary. The characters in that one, I think are a little older or maybe it's just that the difference of five years is the difference between generations or whatever. But, uh, that, that's a similar kind of, um, target that they're painting, you know, on, on people of a certain class and a certain age group and a certain lifestyle, uh, who are uh, being put into a plot that will eventually involve some some uh, you know twisted going on, and that was a movie that I thought used uh, contemporary lifestyles and social media and the way that people define themselves these days in really interesting and I think really spot on kind of ways that were were uh, not superficial, even if the characters often were superficial and like. That, to me, is an example of this sort of thing done right. And I think the Bodies, Bodies, Bodies is just is just not there. And even this year, uh, I don't know if you saw X, the Ty West film. And, oh, uh, yeah. That, yeah. Oh, yeah. That was another A24 film. Another A24. And I, kind uh, of uh, I, came and went. Yeah, but I yeah. think a much better, for me at least, a much better uh, type of uh, 
you know, slasher type movie, a more yeah. of an overt slasher type movie. So they're not the mm-hmm. same thing, but if we're just looking at 2022, a 24 slasher movies, I think, you know, rent X, yeah. uh, that would be my recommendation for mm-hmm. people rather than see bodies, bodies, bodies. I would not recommend it. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, even though I, I didn't, X didn't stick with me, I guess as much as stuck with you, but I agree that that's a much more thoughtful film and a film that I think is a lot better than this one in the sense of like, it, it is a lot, it's able to lean into the exposition or not exposition, uh, exploitation mm-hmm. uh, while also having something to say and something that is pulpy, but also leaves you something to talk about in a way that this movie, I, I don't know. It just kind of left me wanting more than anything. I just like, like it's not incompetent outside of like some of the things we were t- discussing, I guess, but um, yeah, it, it just kind of, it, it's hard not to wonder what it could have been. And yeah, Ingrid goes West is a, a pretty great example too, of like taking a sort of Chuck and Buck formula for uh, the millennial generation. Like this film, it could have very easily done something that was more uh taboo or something that could have been a lot more nastier than it really was and it just fell short more often than not which is a shame and and it did make me wonder often what this movie would be like if the the man that came in the last minute was a bigger part of the film especially because i feel like he is one of the few comedians i've seen right now that that feels of this generation in a way that is pretty bold and unapologetic mm-hmm. and weird and pretty relevant and it, and it seems like they, they were needing something like that to really make this movie spark it, it left me um it left me just wanting in many many respects but yeah i'm sorry to hear that you didn't really care for him much either i was hoping you'd be maybe a little bit more positive than me but yeah it sounds like we're just both sort of meh on this movie overall which is a shame beast cheered me up seeing idris elba fight that lion two hours later cheered me up so (laughs) fair enough yeah um well that's good at least i'm glad to hear that um so uh as we were discussing off the air uh we've both seen the rehearsal, the new Nathan Fielder show that just recently ended its first season on HBO. Um, if you listened to last week's episode, John and I had a pretty extensive conversation about the first three episodes of that show. And I really wanted to hear first your take uh, on like just the show in general. But then as we discussed a little bit more, I want I really want to hear what you think about the last few episodes. So first, uh, since we haven't heard your opinion on it, Please tell me what you think about both Nathan Fielder and the rehearsal. Well, I think uh, Nathan for you is the best television show of the past decade. Uh, I realize it's a big statement, but I don't think there's another show from that, from the 2010s that was as simultaneously entertaining, um, but also expanded the, was both entertaining and expanding the the definition of what television could do and, and what we believed television was and uh, I was so excited for the rehearsal when I heard that it was something that was going to happen uh, because I was such a fan of Nathan for you and for of, of Nathan Fielder's comedy in general. And this season has been a real journey in a lot of ways. I think that the two shows are really, really fascinating um, companion shows to each other in how they're similar and different and uh they are very much you know you can watch the rehearsal without having seen nathan for you obviously but they do play off of each other in really uh i think enriching ways have you were you familiar with nathan for you before seeing oh the yeah. Rehearsal? yeah 
Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I actually recently finally caught up on Nathan for You during the pandemic. Like, I had seen a few episodes before. Like, I think I had seen Dumb Starbucks. I had seen um, the Smokers Allowed episode. I would seen a few beforehand, but I really didn't get a chance to do a full fielder deep dive, a dive into the fielder method, as it were, until the pandemic when I was looking for a show to watch. And I was like, okay, I'm finally going to watch Nathan for you. It seems like something that'll kind of get me out of this funk that the pandemic is creating. And yeah, I mean, I, I really am impressed with how much he was able to pull off with that show. Like, obviously, like the core concept is kind of lightly satirizing something like an undercover boss or like these type of uh, business shows that came out primarily in the decade before ours where, you know, like people would try to offer business advice to struggling companies bar or rescue, something like bar rescue, yeah, maybe something yeah, like that. Totally. I think that's still on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and having Fielder use that as a, as a way to explore human connection in a way that, you know, is obviously satirotic and even, I think even maybe more so than the rehearsal, pretty mean spirited in some ways, um, but also just genuinely kind of curious and introspective. And obviously, as that show went along, became a much more personal exploration for Fielder. But yeah, I mean, leading up to Finding Francis, which I think is probably still as much as I like the rehearsal, I think Finding Francis is probably the best thing that Fielder has done to date. I mean, just accumulating this I'd whole agree. series that he's created building on the themes in a way that feels very conclusive, but also very enriching, allowing him to expand himself even beyond, you know, the runtime of the show, having this feature length conclusion. Um, but in a way that is really, it's easy to see the the stepping stones from where yeah. Nathan for you leads to finding Francis. And then that leads to the rehearsal. Yeah. But um, yeah, I mean, uh, I, I guess the big thing I want to hear from you, is that obviously it seems like more people are seeing or at least discussing the rehearsal more than Nathan for you, at least when it was on TV. I don't know if it's because more people have seen like me, Nathan for you of late, but it seems like people have stronger opinions about the rehearsal than Nathan for you, which I think did have very viral moments, but it didn't have quite the discourse that this show is producing, which is understandable in some respects because the show is meant to be more provocative. It's yeah. allowing us to challenge Fielder's image. And Fielder himself, obviously, as the show progresses, uh, is challenging that image himself and really kind of digging into some dark, nasty parts of himself, or at least his screen image. Obviously, it's hard to know mm -hmm. where the real Fielder begins and where the screen persona of Fielder ends, um, or vice versa. I think I might mix up that phrase. But... Um, yeah, I mean, I, I want to hear from you, like, about how you feel about the general sort of discourse about the show. Do you feel it's warranted? Do you think it's overblown? And did that impact or benefit your viewing in any particular way? Well, it's interesting because it's it's uh, when I, I the first time I saw Nathan for you, I remember I was in college and I was I was watching Comedy Central at some weird time. I had never heard of the show before. This would have been in the first season of the show, but not at the beginning. It would have been a few episodes in. And suddenly I see this ad for uh, the episode, The Claw of Shame. And if anybody's listening and does not know what the Claw of Shame episode of Nathan for you is, it's an episode where he is going to be, have his, uh, Nathan is going to have his uh, hands tied and a robot is going to pull down his pants in front of a group of children uh, unless he can get him free himself from the, from the handcuffs and turn off the robot in time. And if he does not do it in time and he does 
the robot does pull down his pants with the giant robotic claw, and he's going to be arrested on the spot as a sex offender. So that's the kind of humor that the show is is trafficking in. And I was like, what the fuck is this? When I saw the, the, the preview for that episode, that that was the premise of it, I was like, I don't know what this show's about. I got to check it out. And um, so I did. And that episode is hilarious. And um, But for years, it felt like I was the only person watching the show. It felt like me and like the six people I managed to tell the story, tell the story of the show to, uh, without them leaving in the middle of the conversation, like were the only people who were even aware of the show. It was so like, um, off the beaten path. It was like this comedy central show that wasn't, you know, South Park or the daily show that was, uh, just, kind of out there in a weird time slot, like not making any kind of impact starting this Canadian comedian nobody had ever heard of. And that was like, it was kind of a reality show, but it kind of wasn't. It was kind of a documentary, but it kind of wasn't. It was maybe scripted, but maybe not. And it seemed like this little secret. And then over the years, I think the cult of it has grown. And now with him moving, not just his own, you know, persona to uh hbo a much more um i think a much more prestigious kind of venue uh but but moving his whole kind of style and aesthetic that he's taking from nathan view and bringing it to hbo he's putting his concepts that he's been working on for all these years putting them right on uh this bigger stage with a bigger audience and more like think pieces are going to be written about it. And and Richard Brody of the New Yorker is going to write these think pieces about, uh, what is, what does Nathan for you mean? And it's going to be, there's going to be discourse and everything's going to be this because now it's on Mm. the same, it's on the same, it has the same branding as game of Thrones and succession. You know what I mean? It's not just this weird show that's on at like 1130 on comedy central or whatever, whenever it was, you know? And, um, in doing that, he's also like done a he's he's done something interesting with the tone of it, um, where I think a lot of it is tied into how the Nathan character, the Nathan persona, plays out in the two shows. Because I think that on Nathan for you, he's kind of an underdog figure a little bit. He's ridiculous and he has this camera crew and he's got all the comedy central money that he can play with and he can do these crazy kind of unethical or insane schemes with these businesses but at the same time he's up against all the forces of capitalism and he's up against best buy and starbucks and uber and big business of all these kinds and he's in theory on the side of these struggling small business owners but in the rehearsal he is this strange kind of puppet master figure who seems to control everything he can he can he can seem to create any kind of world and 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 manipulate people's lives so he's a much more kind of ambiguous uh sort of figure i mean which is something the show is very much aware of going back to the first episode of the rehearsal which is i I think the funniest episode of the rehearsal is still the first one with uh uh, core skeet and yeah. the trivia and everything and cheap chick in the city and all that. Mm. Um, and poor compares him to Willy Wonka and Nathan is like, but didn't all those kids die in the Willy Wonka <laughs> factory? 
He goes, well, maybe, maybe they did. It wasn't a good fate, whatever happened to them. Uh, that's sort of the, the vibe with, with, with the Nathan that you see on the rehearsal. It's much darker. I mean, every episode of the show made me laugh, but certainly in the last two episodes, in, in episode uh, five, uh, which is the one with the uh, where he, he hires the the uh, Jewish uh, tutor to mm-hmm. sort of teach Adam the fake son about Judaism and everything like that. I had to pause that episode maybe seven times just out of like <laughs> cringing and what was happening, you know. Right. Um, and then with the latest one, it, I didn't pause, but it was like emotionally, like really. I don't know how spoiler heavy we want to get into or whatever, or whatever, but it was very emotionally oh, heavy. I mean, we. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I'll, I definitely want to get into spoilers. I think we'll just kind of do our general roundabout thoughts about the season first. And then I want to really get into like the finale because there's just so much to discuss. And like you said, those last two episodes in particular. But yeah, I will say, I mean, I, I agree with a lot of what you said before as far as like now that Fielder has bigger spotlight, it's a given that there is going to be more discourse about the show. There is obviously going to be a wider audience, a more critical audience that's coming into this and going to be asking the questions like, is this really ethical? Is this really morally right to do this? Like wh- where does the the comedy really allow things to go and like to what extent? And I, I think Fielder, to his credit, I think was well aware that this discourse is going to come, at least to some extent. I, I think maybe the show might have exceeded what he thought the scope was going to be, but I have mm-hmm. no idea to know that for sure. I mean, I think it's, I think it's a credit to him and being forward thinking that he allowed us to think that if that wasn't uh, apparent. But um, I do think, yeah, I think it's hard to see the show without seeing Nathan for you. Like I, I would be very curious to hear someone's thoughts if they weren't familiar with Fielder going into this, because it is, I think easier, like you said, to see him as a little bit more of a sullen, mysterious figure. And I, I think there is the perception, like you said, Nathan for you, where he is a little bit more earnest or erstwhile, at least like he's trying to, to do good for other people's professional lives. Like he's trying to help businesses. He's trying to help people uh, succeed in what they're trying to do on a professional front. And then now he's tapping the people's personal lives. There there Mm -hmm. is the ambiguity of like, is this really for their benefit? Is this feeding into your God complex that you have here? And I love this show make allows itself to, like you said, feed into what we know about Fielder from the previous show, but also expands on as far as like, because we see so little of his personal life in this, we do often wonder like, was that whole show kind of a lie? Like were the things we learned about Fielder, uh, the person in that show really just kind of fabricated entirely. And and I think Fielder wants that ambiguity and I think he plays it up very well. Uh, totally. As far as this show is concerned, I, I really love that. Like it, it's, it's easy for people to kind of just be like, yeah, it's like kind of like a reality TV version of Synecdoche, New York, which is true. Uh, to some extent, I don't know if that's going to sell like my uncle on the show, but I, I think that that's a, an ap- appropriate way of, of uh, describing the show. But I really just think it's more just like it's exploring like how one's like sort of social anxieties kind of feed into their broader perception of like what is taboo and what is fair. And but also just acknowledging that like. Is there any real ethical way of kind of 
allowing yourself to have control of your life. Like, is there any real limit when you allow yourself to do one thing and have this Russian nesting doll of like, well, if I do this, I have to know this and I have to know this and I have to know this. Mm-hmm. And I, I think the show is so brilliantly layered in how it explores these things and allows for so many different avenues as far as like how it goes forward. I mean, theoretically, I mean, we could theorize a number of things as far as like what season two could be. I mean, it could just be a complete redo of season one because it's a rehearsal and it's just like let's see if we can do this again it it could be something a lot more personal for fielder for reasons i'll break into a little bit closer into the spoiler section but like um it, it just seems like fielder is evolving as an artist in so many uniquely fielder ways and it doesn't seem like he really has a contemporary that I can think of, like it's easy to compare him to a lot of comedians I like right now, like uh, Joe Para and John Wilson, who are kind of doing similar things with their art. But Fielder is also at this point just kind of doing something that is wholly, wholly his own, wholly playing to his own unique yeah. kind of vision for comedy and filmmaking. And like you said, kind of blurring the lines between genres. Like, is this fiction? Is this nonfiction? Uh, it weirdly kind of reminds me of like, when I was watching like Jackass Forever and I was thinking about like Jackass doesn't really have like a genre. Like it's not really a documentary because they're like kind of staging these things, but they're relying on real human reactions. So it's not like it, it isn't like completely a documentary, but it's also not really like it's not like a scripted thing. It's just, it's its own kind of own weird little world that inhabits on its own. And it, it's just such a fascinating thing that we, we're going to hopefully continue to see evolve and and very bizarre and hopefully very meaningful and kind of uniquely fielder ways but absolutely yeah i'm just i'm really pleased with where this first season went and uh i'm not confident enough to say that this is better than nathan for you because i think it's still evolving as it goes along but i think it's more than a worthy successor to that show for sure Agreed, totally. Uh, I mean, we're only six episodes in. You know, the first season's wrapped up, but it's only six episodes. And Nathan, for you, we had, I think, four seasons and Finding Francis, which was a whole two-hour movie, essentially. Um, And so I don't think it's reached that level yet. It's not as funny as Nathan, for you. Nathan, for you, is a funnier show. Um, This is more experimental and more kind of boundary-pushing. So they're different in that regard but i always i always like when a show can um when when you have two shows that are sort of sister shows or companion shows and they allow the second show to take major steps away from what the first show was doing in a way that kind of interrogates the premise of the first show i think that better call salt does that a lot with breaking bad i was gonna say yeah yeah and I was, thought that, yeah, yeah. No, I was, was going to say too. Yeah, <laughs> sorry, good. No, no, no. And, and I think, like for instance, uh, I think that the second uh, series of um, American Crime Story, the, the assassination of Gianni Versace, I think it did that with the first season, which was the, the O.J. Simpson season. I think that's another example where it's like if you can take a different tone or a different perspective on what the first series was doing, and you can continue that with the same level of quality. That is so. Uh, impressive to me as as uh, uh, an act of filmmaking or television making in this case, um, and uh, yeah, and I, I have no clue what they're going to be doing for the second season. But <laughs> that first promo image that they've released is very very uh, intriguing. So 
So we'll see, but I can't wait. Yeah. Uh, I'm all in the tank for Fielder for the foreseeable future, I guess, until mm-hmm. I become the victim of one of his elaborate ruses at some point. But until then, <laughs> I, um, I'm in the tank. Yeah. Um, yeah. Let's just get into like just I guess more general spoilery thoughts. If anyone listening hasn't caught up on the rehearsal, please do so. And I hope you come back to hear our thoughts on this section. But yeah, I mean, now that we're in our little spoiler section, I want to hear uh, what did you think of the, the finale? Did it play off if you expected? Like, was that the direction you expected the show to go? And it sounds like you're satisfied with the ending. But mm-hmm. what's, what's your prediction for where it's going to go from this point forward? I have a prediction. It might be completely wrong, but I do have a prediction, which is that I know that Fielder was married and he is no longer married. I know that's true. Um, right. And he mentions that in briefly in the very first episode of the rehearsal in the scene where he's there in the pool with uh, Core. And they're talking about how they're both divorced, mm-hmm. and then the other guy gets into the pool, and they stop talking about it. And then he says in voiceover that he had <laughs> hired yeah. somebody to enter the pool so that he wouldn't have to have an uncomfortable yeah, conversation. Yeah. Um, I kind of think that the second season of the show, which where they have that promo image where it's Nathan and he's standing, and then there's a woman seated on the bed in the background, mm-hmm. and she looks forlorn. That's the only image that they've released, and it might have nothing to do with what ends up being the case, right. but. I have some idea that the second season in some way going to tackle is going to be about him trying to figure out what happened in his marriage. Uh, We'll see if that's the case. Mm -hmm. I mean, nobody saw where this show was going or where it went to from the first episode of, of the rehearsal. I mean, this took so many strange swings and I I was so amazed by all the different directions that it went and how it went from him trying to rehearse the future outcomes of what was going to happen with these people too, in the last episode, trying to redo things that he'd already done and done wrong. And cause the whole show is about that. And the whole show is about, is about family or not family. It's about, um, uh, sort of or, uh, uh, failure. It's about like the failure to do things, um, the way that, that you had planned on doing them. And, and that's sort of what that whole thing is about in the last episode with trying to, to bring in all these child actors to try and redo the whole, it's just insane, but you know, it's to even talk about it makes you sound like yeah. you're crazy. Uh, but I love the, the shot of the, <laughs> the adult <laughs> actor playing the six year old <laughs> Remy standing outside yeah. vaping, wearing overalls. I vaping, thought that was so yeah. funny, but yeah, I have no clue where the next season so is going to go. I'm, uh, I'm, yeah. I'm pumped, but yeah, hopefully it's not, three years from now uh i don't imagine will be but who knows uh yeah i was gonna say i mean that was my yeah i mean that's basically my prediction as well especially given the promo image and what we saw from the season i would imagine it's gonna somehow involve either fielder's uh divorce or his inability to find a significant other and especially like we said like given the synecdoche new york kind of vibes that's going for and the way that that movie explores like when you commit your work so much into your life like where's your life end and where's your Mm -hmm. like work begin i i think this it would be really fascinating if he was allowing himself in the second season to directly confront his actual personal life, as far as we know it. Cause I mean, all we really know about his personal life is what we read on Wikipedia, at least for me, right? which no, is no, just no, basically no. Yes. he was married. 
for three years to a librarian and that he got, uh, I guess, misgendered on his um, visa card. Uh, like that's like all we really know about the actual Nathan Fielder as far as his personal life is concerned, as far as like what, what hasn't been on screen. Um, which, yeah, I mean, if any of that comes into play in this, this new season, I'll definitely be amazed and I'll certainly look forward. Uh, and I'll certainly be quite nervous to see where it's going to go, especially if his actual wife become or his ex-wife becomes a participant willingly or unwillingly. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it, it is, it is interesting to see if that if he is allowing himself to really get that introspective. I don't, I don't think he's shown any restraint with this show uh, to allow himself to get to that place. And certainly with the the last scene in this season where he's basically like weirdly sort of recreating the end of Willy Wonka. I don't know if that was a, a intentional thing or if that was uh, just oh, sort of a coincidence, a happy coincidence where he's like. Like having that moment, like at the end of Willy Wonka and Chocolate Factory, where, um, you know, Willy Wonka is basically kind of being the father that Charlie never had. And you have uh, Fielder as uh, Remy's mother, but also kind of himself yeah. comforting his son and huh. it's like fake son, but also trying to comfort himself in a weird way and trying to like kind of like assure himself and this child and this actor that he is doing something ethical, but also acknowledging that like what he's doing is messed up and it isn't right, but it's also okay. Cause it's a TV show. It's just so multi-layered in that weird way that I'm very curious if he's just going to like dive head forward with season two in that direction and really just kind of let the layers grow up from there and like the ripple effect kind of grow from there. Or if he's actually just going to kind of take a step back and have the character fielder be like, Whoa, I really kind of went too far there. Let me get back to the mission here. And he tries to like help other people, but then it kind of spirals again. I don't know. I mean, that's what I find fascinating. Like I said about the show is that it could really go in like a multitude of directions. And all of them would feel appropriate for, I think where the show could go. Um, But it sounds like, yeah. So I wanted to hear, um, I, we talked a little bit about the fifth episode and we talked a little bit about the sixth one, but I wanted to hear your thoughts of the fourth one, which I would say if I agree with you, the first one I think is the funniest, but the fourth one might also be the second funniest and maybe even the darkest episode of oh, this show. Uh, yeah, with the teenage dad. Uh, and, and that's. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. Where Fielder he's method. like. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. Yeah, not only is he like, uh, you know, having the the Russian uh, nesting doll effect, like I said before, with one of his actors and just like kind of creating like the the true kind of like I said, like Synecdoche, New York thing where he's like trying to like make layers upon layers, like getting into their lives and like getting the layers of those layers and then the layers within those layers, Uh, but also just kind of uh, diving into what appears to be Angela's like real trauma to kind of like harness his own insecurities as a uh, would-be parent but also like trying to give like the worst case scenario for angela but also it also seems like it's more self-serving at that point for nathan i think that's kind of where the discourse was kind of that's the only real point where like i think from that point on i think fielder is fully acknowledging that what he's doing is very unethical and that you really shouldn't be rooting for him but it's like yeah i mean like you're not really supposed to be rooting against him because i think he's like kind of in a place of uh self-discovery but it is uh, that episode i think in particular is the one where i find myself like flinching and laughing in equal measure and i think it's maybe 
that episode and the third episode are, are th- I think, are some of the most incredible things that that Fielder has done as a director. Um, oh, but that would you one, agree I, or disagree? With I that? would agree that that is the best uh, directed episode. Is is the fourth one with all of the in the second half of the episode where um, it's him and it's the uh, teenaged Adam and he's very rebellious and he's got drug problems and he's you know has all these tensions with his you know father quote unquote and um and it's right. shot very effectively with all of these he seems to be in that in in the second half of that episode relying on the uh distant cameras in the scenes and on a lot of overhead yeah, the- angles that really create this extremely tense atmosphere where you see them they're sitting at the you know the kitchen table or whatever and you're looking at both of them and it's not intimate at all uh, and, and you, you can, you can look at both of them. You can feel like the tension, uh, in the scene and it's so, uh, uncomfortable. It's really well directed in, in, and in how it, it, uh, mimics the, um, uh, feeling of, you know, a really dark, you know, Timothy Chalamet drama or something like that about a, about a teenage son and right. his, his, his uh, antagonistic relationship with his father. And yeah, I thought that was, I thought it was, that was the episode where I watched it. I mean, the whole show is so conceptually interesting, but that was the one where I watched it. And I thought, um, uh, uh, visually there's really interesting things going on here and it, they fielder directed all the episodes. And that's the one where I'm like, Oh, he's got an eye as director. Like he's making interesting visual creative choices in addition to, just the creative choices of, of the concepts and staging the whole thing. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely agree, and I, I, I felt like there were seeds of that in the third episode, where we like kind of like see him creating this elaborate scenario where his actor is also becoming a participant unknowingly, mm-hmm. but also somewhat knowingly, and we have this whole extreme scenario where like he gets involved with a family inheritance that's supposed to make his scenario more real but then obviously it's fake but it makes it real at the same time uh and we have like that moment with him uh with the the subject there where he like it seems like he generally kind of like has a moment of catharsis and i I love the way that fielder directs that scene uh and and whoever edits it the way they put it together just because it feels like you're you're constantly aware of the layers but you can also see like the realness of it yeah in a way that like i feel like the show uh it, it it obviously you see more of that as it goes along but that's like the first time you really get like a real like deeply felt moment with the stranger and you're seeing it from their perspective and you're all seeing it from fielder's perspective and you're also like an outsider looking at it and it's not like jarring to see all those three perspectives it feels very natural to the moment and i don't know i just i i find myself really impressed with how much yeah. fielder has grown as a director with this show it just seems like he i mean outside of like the ethics of it. I just think he's really, uh, I, I think it's too cheap to just say that he's just like trying to parody like reality TV. Cause like what he's doing as a director is way more intricate and intense than like any reality TV show that I can think of. Like it's, it does seem like he is trying to like find the art, even some fairly artless moments, which is true of, uh, Nathan for you as well. But it just seems like he, yeah, it, it just shows that he is really willing to bring his own stamp, into these truly bizarre and and uh, absurd moments in a way that it is so singular to him. I feel at this moment, and yeah, I just I, I that was just the, the stuff I watched the show. I just find myself thinking like, man, Fielder is really really growing as as a storyteller, and I'm just really 
admiring how much he continues to grow uh, as he pushes himself forward and pushes himself as a as an actor and as a, a storyteller. Yeah, absolutely. And I I am uh, yeah. And and with 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 the rehearsal, I think not being as overtly humorous as Nathan for you, I think he does have to allow himself to do more stuff visually and more stuff with the tone and the atmosphere, be more formally uh, adventurous. And I think he rises to the occasion. I just really, it's one of the best shows that I've seen in a long time. Um, and I don't know what I'm going to do now that uh, the rehearsal and better call Saul are both off the air. I have to find something else to watch now. I yeah, know. So whatever. <laughs> I'll figure something out. But yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't know. I mean, I got to catch up on Succession. I don't know if you've watched that. Oh, but, I love Succession. Uh, I've, I've heard that's very good. Oh, yeah. Best, I've seen the first yes. like season and a half of it. You gotta, you gotta finish. Uh, so, you gotta finish. It's yeah. so fun. I'm not gonna turn this into yeah. the Succession pod because you can get me going for hours. But yes, yeah. yeah. Right. That and I recommend yeah. checking out The Offer, right. which is a terrible television show, but is terrible, and I recommend everybody oh, see it. Oh man. But that's my that's my takeaway there on television. All right. Yeah. I'm. <laughs> Yeah, I've heard that that show, uh, The Offer, I mean, it is one of those, like, so bad it's good kind of shows. It really is. Like, it's and, like, yeah. so, yeah. yeah. And I don't say that for a lot. I don't, I, I, that's not something I usually go in for. <laughs> but yeah, so that's, those are my recommendations. Yeah. Better Call Saul, Succession, right. and The Offer. Two fantastic, <laughs> incredible, great shows right. and a terrible one. So there you go. Mm-hmm. And of course, the rehearsal, which you can now watch on HBO Max. For sure. Uh, if you haven't already, I don't know why you're listening to spoilers if you haven't <laughs> uh, watched that show. But in any case, uh, yeah, that's all I got, unless you have any uh, closing thoughts that we haven't said already on the rehearsal. Uh, not that I can think of. I hope that uh, Robin right. doesn't crash his scion again. But other than that, I don't have any more thoughts on the rehearsal. Oh, man. Did you hear that Robin's uh, roommate died? Yeah, uh, I did see that. I we have yeah. tapped so little of what that guy's iceberg is. You know what I mean? There's so much that's <laughs> underneath there that we yeah. do not know yet. And I, 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 I don't. I do not right. look for. I do not look forward to hearing more because there will be more that comes out. I'm sure. Yeah, I love that. Um, I think we said this in the actual review uh, we did uh, before, but um, I find myself so fascinated that Robin had that interview about like a day or so after the episode came out and he was like using it as like no 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 like the show misrepresented me here's who i really am and he came across as even crazier <laughs> in that article than he did in the in the actual episode <laughs> yeah. which I, I mean yeah like you said that that's that's a nut i really don't want to crack too far because no. it seems like when you give fielder a run for his money on his own show in terms of just being absurd and even fielder like in character and seemingly out of character is taken aback by you uh i love those moments especially like um it reminds me of the the gas station guy and nathan for you oh for sure he, yeah like doesn't he like confess to like to drinking drink his, his own urine or something and no, could, there's a moment yes drinking his grandson's yeah urine. that's it which is and it that's clearly right. it's one and of the rare moments and there's a look that fielder gives yes yeah where he breaks character, where he, he clearly was not yeah. anticipating that, which is rare for him. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Ah <laughs> oh, man. Anyway, on that lighthearted note, um, yes. yeah, that's all I got. I really want to thank you, Michael, again for oh. coming on to discuss these two films in the show. Absolutely, uh, it's been a, it was blast. a great pleasure, and I've always, it, yeah, I've really admired yourself, and I'm glad we could finally have a conversation. So, yeah, anytime. Uh, yeah, that's all I got, and uh, yeah. 
Anytime. If you ever need me to fill in, I'll come on in. See you around. All right. Awesome. Yeah. See ya. And goodbye, everybody.